Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. We're here again with Ken Nixon of the Erie School District and Dr. Heather Bennett of PSBA for part two of a two-part discussion around the implementation and practice of equity in schools. So let's talk about some of the challenges. Did you encounter any challenges in implementing a formal practice of equity in your district? I would say in terms of focusing just on the equity aspect of it, I really feel like the strategic plan lined us up so that there hasn't been a lot of resistance from from that perspective because... You know, to to even start the strategic plan, we had 100 people called the core group, and that was teachers and stakeholders and everybody from the district. And I mean, so I think that that us moving equity in that way really helps solidify collaboration Mm. and understanding. So I don't think we had too much challenge there. Okay. I would say in terms of just my my position itself, I would say the biggest challenge so far was the the um, examining our bias training that we. We did the whole district. So we went from the district leadership, uh, bus drivers, teachers, you know, all the secretaries that work in the administration office, and everybody went through this this training so that we could all be on the same page and, and everybody realized the conversation would happen. So I would say that was probably the biggest challenge um, because definitely did like a survey afterwards. And, you know, a lot of the feedback was shocking to see that some people are still not ready for, for that, that, even that conversation. Some people were really all into it and want more. Um, but I'd say that was probably one of the biggest challenges to the point that what we did was we do what's called data summits. So we have ILTs, instructional leadership teams, typically six to eight teachers from each building with some administrators. And we showed the survey results from the feedback of the bias in service. And I think a lot of people were taken back to see that a lot of the survey said that we want more support, we need more support in this area. Um, I mean, even getting down to just basic definitions, you know, just want to hear the definition over what is the, and then give some strategies to how to actually change that outlook and change that bias. Can you define implicit bias? The implicit bias is when you make a quick thought process or when you make a quick um, belief about something or someone, uh, it's a quick reaction. So, you know, if you're if you're in a grocery store and you might see somebody that might be obese, your first response might be to say, oh, that person's fat or that person, you know, that person has an eating disorder or, or it can be if you, you know, you see a, a person of color. Um, your first thought might think, um, oh, they're probably poor or, or they probably don't have an education. But it's a quick decision that's made by being something in front of you, a quick decision that's made or a belief or thought about that particular individual or, or person. So I think that's kind of the tough part because bias stems from your history and your experience. So if you grew up you know, in a suburban environment around mostly all white people and your first encounter with somebody black will could be whatever it is that people have said about black people or whatever it is that people think about black people or whatever you've seen on TV or or heard on the radio, which is probably definitely the false image of black people. So you're just going to quickly just think that's exactly how they are. That's what they're going to be like. So I think that's that's what I take when talk about implicit bias. And you talked about some of the various reactions coming out of that training or the dialogue around that, you know, across your district. And it sounds like you know, growing pains, really. There's maybe those that are clamoring for more, more information, mm-hmm. and others that are not ready for it. It sounds kind of like a growing pain stage. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, 
you know, I've been in contact. Um, there's a lady by the name of I think it's Kelsey Leonard. She did a webinar not too long ago, and I actually was part of it, and, and I actually reached out to her afterwards, and that's one of her suggestions that she said was you got to continue the you got to continue the work, even maybe even right. do another survey to get a pulse of kind of where people are at now. Yeah. So you just got to, but you got to continue the work, and I think I totally agree with you. I think it's definitely growing pains, um, you know, and again, it's tough because you're talking about things that are entrenched in people's beliefs and and mindsets, and so when you start doing that, it's difficult, and some people are going to be a little more open to get into that conversation or be open to check themselves or say, yeah, I, I know I, I do have an issue and I need to, I need to change this. And then you have others that, you know, um, maybe a little more staunch or, or stubborn or, or mm-hmm. just like I said, not ready for that. Cause a lot of times people don't even recognize that they do have a bias. You know what right. I mean? They, they, this is what they've been doing. So yeah, I definitely agree. I, I just wanted to add one thing. I think implicit bias is unconscious bias. You don't even realize you might even think that. And it's and everybody has a bias and I think Ken definitely said it well. It's something that is our it's part of our experiences and how we see or experience the world and how the world has experienced us. Um, that really has shaped our ideas and perceptions about people. And you might actually not even believe some of the things that are consciously going on. So another problem is is like a lot of people have not had experience having the conversation about race or class or differences. And so a lot of that growing pains is really having these very, you know, hard conversations about things that we were told not to talk about um, or to think about um, because, you know, or or fearful because if you actually say the things that you think, you don't want to let people think that you're something else than what you really are. And so there is this fear Mm -hmm. of having these conversations. But the kicker is, is that as educators, we have to continuously examine our internal perceptions in order for us to create and implement positive external practices and policies for our kids. Um, and so I think that's something that I will say this is like this is an internal work as much as an external work. Yeah, the that's practice a really of equity. Point. And we have to all do the hard work to make sure that we are providing our kids with the best. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we are we are creating the barriers and we don't even realize it. Right. Um, so I think this is where we're moving forward uh, in this work. So thank you, Ken, for that explanation. Yeah. You know, as a, as a district, we knew that we had to pull back a little bit on continuing to push the work. So what we did, though, is we continued kind of working with the principals. We started an administrator book study. Okay. Called for white folks who teach in the hood, um, by Chris Emden. Awesome. And um, this is something that, like last year, you know, actually this started with I actually first met Dr. Bennett down at the Educational Blueprint session. Yeah. Um, and I ran into a uh, principal from a school down in Pittsburgh, and we talked a little bit about implicit bias, and he mentioned this book. And fast forward to now, a small district leadership team went through the book. I, I mentioned the the Equity Inclusion Committee that was started to help with some of my work. We went through the book, and we actually created questions from each chapter, about two to three questions, and we're actually doing an administrative book study with all of our administrators. So I said that because the book does really get into implicit bias, and what it does, it gives you strategies and um, gives you perspectives, gives you strategies on how you can actually, as a teacher that may not have any background with students from from an urban environment or students of color, but it gives you some strategies and techniques on how to, on what you can implement to build those relationships up. And then one step forward was what we also did, you know, right after December when we got back from our break, um, I did push out Harvard has an implicit bias test that's real easy. I mean, people listening can probably Google it, um, but you actually get to go through and it gives you a list of all the different biases that people could have. 
Um, and one thing we asked all of our administrators to do the racial bias test. And so it's interesting. So I, you know, I yeah. just wanted to add that too. I, that, that book study was huge. And uh, when I said we kind of pulled back, the plan was to get go district wide with all of our teachers next year with this book study. But looking at the bias survey results, that's when we kind of took a step back and we actually offered it up to our buildings as on a voluntary basis. You know, here's the book study. The administrators are doing it. If you want to take this on, please do. Yeah. And the hope for that was that we'll get, you know, after 16 buildings, we'll get five or six or maybe more that will take it on and, um, you know, we'll, we'll do it. And, we'll, and I think people will start to see some change in, in technique or change in practice. I have to give a lot of credit to one of our elementary buildings. The principal already started it. She said, I'm not even going to wait till next year. I'm in. And I started, started the book study with her, her ILT. Uh, and it's interesting. It's definitely getting some enriched conversation. And um, I think it's opening up a lot of minds mm-hmm. and um, definitely enhancing the dialogue around this topic for sure. Great. So you talked about beginning with the PDE toolkit and also now what you just mentioned, this implicit bias test. Can you give us some more tips or guidance around where a district might start? What are some resources or a place to start? Yeah, I would say, I would say definitely, you know, if you if you create a position of, you know, a coordinator of equity or what have you, I would say the toolkit is, is definitely useful to look at and to kind of give you strategies and steps that you can take to get a start. Actually, it's it, it pulls from teaching tolerance, um, which I found is a huge resource in terms of equity and diversity in itself. But so I would suggest definitely looking at the toolkit and mm-hmm. taking advantage of some of the resources that are embedded within there. Okay. The other big part that I really attribute to is the, the equity inclusion committee. The assistant superintendent now was our former director of human resources, and she had a diversity group, diversity committee. And I kind of took that same group and just refreshed it and brought in some, some new blood and some new minds. But I made sure that I had folks that represented from all areas. So, you know, there's somebody there to speak to sexual orientation and our students that struggle with that gender identity and, and just going through that process. Um, so I made sure there was people there for that. I made sure that there was white representation, Hispanic representation, our new refugee representation, um, you know, female. I made sure that it, the scope itself of that committee looked like you know, the diversity that we want to see. Sure. Um, so I think that's critical because those people really helped a lot with framing out where we wanted to go. So that's what I would suggest is, you know, you want to have a committee of folks from your community. And if you don't, if you live in an environment that you don't have a lot, then you have to kind of, you know, use your resources. Um, okay. You know, if you're a suburban or rural environment and you have some students of color and you, you, and you don't have a lot of people to pull from, I mean, typically there's some universities or some type of um, organizations or something that might have some of those people there. I really think that was a big part of it. I would recommend having a committee to go from um, and then taking those steps, but building it with that collaboration and doing the, the PA school climate um, was huge. And we also had a strategic plan survey as well. But mm-hmm. I really think that that PA school climate survey helped a lot because we got feedback from students K-12, um, as well as parents, community stakeholders, and our teachers. That helped me get a real true sense of direction on, you know, what do we need here from a climate perspective? So um, that's what I would suggest. Those would be the the three areas. I would definitely do the toolkit. I would would form a committee and I would use some type of a climate um, survey to get a true true read on what are the needs and then use something like teaching tolerance to really start to put some pieces in place. Okay. And Heather, how about you? What would you add to that? I I think he definitely hit a lot of it. One of the things is that we're thinking we're going to conduct an action plan for um, districts 
wanting to practice equity and some of the things is just recognizing your demographics mm-hmm. um, I think is one of the most important things like who are you representing because in a lot of districts they've had extreme demographic shifts within the last 10 years and even though the practices haven't shifted or changed the children and their families have mm-hmm. so understanding who your demographics are is extremely important analyzing the data is extremely important as well and I think that PA school climate survey is important but looking also at like I think Mid-Atlantic Equity Consortium they have a wonderful equity audit that I mean audit everyone hates that word you can call it an equity questionnaire (laughs) assessment or (laughs) something you know you have to do and really understand your achievement and opportunity gaps in your district How are your kids performing on tests? But how do your kids feel about their school environment? That's also extremely important. Mm, Because if they feel like they don't belong, they're not going to perform. And we all know that opportunity gaps, disparities in the educational delivery for students, um, has a huge impact on how they're going to achieve. Mm -hmm. So doing that, I will say, is important. And then as a district, and this is where a lot of districts are moving, is like you have to define equity for yourself and for your school context. You have to understand as a school, what does this mean? What does it look like? Right. So I think, again, getting everyone on board with what is equity is probably one of the most important things. And then you can move into other things. Mm-hmm. Cultural competency, figure that out. Professional development for all the staff, and that's what Ken is doing at Erie is extremely important and continuous professional development. It just doesn't start with one day. It, it continues on in this process of moving people in the direction of equity and cultural competency and and really dealing with our own biases and also thinking about really great practices Mm -hmm. uh, of how to really help kids move forward in their educational uh, experience at that district. But yes, in a nutshell, I I would just focus in on really including families and students in every process is the most important. Understanding your demographics is important and really defining and creating professional development opportunities to uh, understand what equity is, understanding your own bias, understanding cultural competency, and understanding the practices and programs that are making sure that we're eliminating barriers to opportunity in our schools. Those are the suggestions that I made, and there's so many resources. The Southern Poverty Law Center, the group that created Teaching Tolerance, they're phenomenal. The Mid-Atlantic Equity Consortium is available. Um, There are plenty of books and research out there for districts to kind of hold on to to really learn some of the practices and programs that will move and in, in, in start them on um, their equity journey. And I think that's where we're all trying to get to. It's just okay. trying. Just just move. Just move Moving. forward. Moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> just move, move forward. Move down the path. Yeah. So with all that you've both shared with us today, we've just scratched the surface, it it seems. And so this is, as I mentioned, part of a multiple part series that we're going to be producing on equity. I hope that listeners, you'll tune in for every part of it so that you can understand the whole picture. Thank you, Ken, for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. Thank you both for all that you've shared with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Not a problem at all. Very, very thankful for the opportunity. This podcast is produced by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association, and today's episode was brought to you in part by sponsor Tremco Roofing and Building Maintenance. This concludes part two of a two-part discussion series. Listeners, I encourage you to find out more about this episode and others at keyedradio.org. This is Annette Stevenson saying thanks for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests 
and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.